Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. I've talked on this show before about my childbirth injury. Basically, I had a traumatic vaginal delivery that ended with an episiotomy. That's where they cut your vaginal tissue to help get the baby out. And it left me in pain for three years. I saw six different doctors who tried to help me, sort of. They told me everything from things look totally fine, there's nothing wrong, all the way to uh, you're in pain because you're a redhead, and the only thing that'll help is plastic surgery to, to graft some skin from the inside of your vagina to the outside, like to, to bulk things up a bit, I guess. That, thankfully, wound up not being true. When I finally found a doctor who could help me, it turned out my problem was one of the most basic problems you can have after surgery. Actually, with surgery on any part of your body, I had nerve damage, and I just needed a specialist to treat that damage, plus some pelvic floor physical therapy to, to get that part of my body back in shape. Of course, I've spent a lot of time questioning whether I should have just had a C-section and avoided all the pain and all the seeking of answers. I did an episode about that. It's number 27. So childbirth injuries, ranging from mild to severe, happen in 50 to 80% of vaginal births. That's more than half of vaginal births. It's a lot, right? And I've learned from doing this podcast that, like me, lots of women hear strange and wrong diagnoses from their doctors, but not everybody finds a specialist who can help them, or even a gynecologist who takes them seriously in the first place. Lots of women just give up, live with the pain. This month, there's an article in Mother Jones about all of this. It's called The Scary Truth About Childbirth. But Kira Butler, the author of the article, says, don't let that word scary scare you. This article, she says, is meant to empower you, to prepare you, and normalize this stuff a bit. I was so excited when I heard Kira's article was coming out, and I was dying to talk to her about her reporting. So today, we're going to spend this entire episode talking to Kira Butler. She'll tell us about the injuries that have impacted me and you and the women in your life, whether you know it or not, and how to make sure that all women can get access to the help that they need. Kira Butler starts her article with a fact that I just found fascinating. She writes, Doctors are required by law to warn women about what could happen to their bodies during a cesarean section, from infection to the uterus splitting apart. But when it comes to vaginal birth... It really varies, but there's no one standard thing that doctors are required to tell women about the risks of vaginal delivery. And many tell them nothing at all. 
And, and what are the risks? So there are two kinds of injuries that women experience as a result of childbirth. They're the short-term injuries. Um, these are things like tears, and tears can range from mild, um, where you know your doctor or midwife might stitch you up afterwards, and you know you'll heal from there just fine. To more severe tears, where you know the the entire perineum—that's the area between the vagina and the anus—can rip apart. And um, that can be extremely uncomfortable, as you might imagine. And also, it can get in the way of basic bodily functions like urinating or defecating. There's also the possibility of um, your baby breaking a bone in your pelvis on its way out. And, um, you know, there are many other injuries that are sort of nonspecified that lead to um, nerve pain or numbness or um, back problems. You know, there I've talked to women who... Um, we're not able to sit down um, for months after delivering as a result of a nerve problem that um, was created by the baby on the way out, basically. So those are the short-term type Those of are the short-term, yeah. How about and, the long-term? You know, you might think that your delivery has gone totally smoothly and fine, and years and even sometimes decades later, um, you all of a sudden will notice some problems. Um there's a problem called prolapse, um, which is a condition in which the uterus or the bladder sags, and that causes chronic discomfort and often intense pain. And as as I understand it, sometimes prolapse can mean even that your like uterus or bladder is is like coming through your vagina. Into the cervix, yes. Into the cervix. That, right. So so the way that people have described it to me is that it feels like you have a tampon kind of part way in all the time. Wow. Yeah. Um, so prolapse commonly will show up in middle age or later. Um, and doctors are just beginning to understand why it happens. And they think that one of the reasons is that there's this kind of little muscle in your pelvis called the anulovator. And um, many women, for one reason or another, will tear that muscle during childbirth. And um, it the, the body kind of covers up this injury shortly after, a few months after um, childbirth happens. But the injury is still there. And as the body ages, it becomes a problem and can lead to this really uncomfortable problem called prolapse. Um, and another result of childbirth injury that can show up later in life is incontinence. Incontinence is incredibly common, and it's especially common among mothers. As the body ages, the muscles that were taxed during childbirth kind of relax a little bit. Um, this happens to most people. And this can cause um, what's called stress incontinence, the kind of incontinence where you might leak a little bit of urine when you laugh or cough or even with physical activity. And in your article, um, you say that women who deliver vaginally are twice as likely to experience these injuries as women who have had a cesarean or women who have not given birth. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Chances are you know someone who's had a childbirth injury, your mom, your sister, your friend, and it's also likely that they've never told you about it, even though that injury has affected them in profound ways. Kira talked to more than two dozen physicians, and over and over again, they told her about the shame and embarrassment women feel around these injuries. You know, if you are having to wear adult diapers because you are constantly leaking urine, that is something that 
you know, many women will not even discuss with their closest friends or even their partners. Um, they will, I've heard women saying that they go to the drugstore in the middle of the night to buy the Depends, that they hide them in their houses. This sense of shame is really pervasive and the kind of stigma around incontinence, um, it's real. It's definitely there. Prolapse is in some ways even worse because uh, this is not even an injury that women can describe really easily. Like, I mean, imagine trying to say to your friend, well, you know, it kind of feels like I have a tampon halfway in all the time, but it affects their ability to do everything. Um, There are many women who actually stop having sex with their partners because it's so painful. Um, And for women who have incontinence and especially fecal incontinence, they often, their self-esteem is so crappy that they just don't even feel like having sex. And, you know, I've talked to women who were uh, athletes before this happened to them and were not able to to go running, to do yoga, whatever, after uh, the prolapse started being really bad. I've also talked to women who were so distracted by this feeling of discomfort that they were not able to even do their jobs. It's interesting that you bring up the athletes um, because, you know, people sustain all kinds of injuries, especially athletes. And those injuries can be really serious too. How would you compare these injuries to other injuries that that people get? You know, one of the doctors that I talked to was comparing surgeries for prolapse. And surgeries for prolapse are really, really common. Um, A lot of women have to have these surgeries. He was comparing them to um, a really common injury that many athletes uh, have, which is the ACL tear. And you would never, if you were an athlete who tore your ACL, you would never like not tell your friends why you were having surgery. You know, you would say like, oh, I tore my ACL. Can you maybe, you know, pick me up from the hospital, help me out with like delivering food to my house. But women who are having surgery for incontinence or prolapse, they're often too embarrassed about these problems to talk about why they're having surgery, to ask their friends for help after the surgery. Um, And another point to make here is that, you know, the cost of these injuries really does add up. Um, Most women who have one surgery for prolapse will go on to have another one. And, uh, you know, insurance does not always cover these things. Uh, You know, um, sports injuries are extremely well understood and they're very well studied because this is an area of medicine um, that's very well funded. Gynecological issues in general are extremely underfunded. Specifically, injuries that um, are caused by childbirth are underfunded. And that's because even within the medical profession, there is still kind of this feeling that you had a baby, so what do you expect? Of course, your body is going to be a little worse for the wear. I mean, on the one hand, that sounds incredibly disrespectful. But also, why is that response a problem? Because isn't it true that we should expect childbirth to, like, wreak havoc on our bodies? You know, like, after all, an entire person is coming out of us. I mean, I guess I sort of would go back to the whole comparison with the ACL injury. Like, nobody is like, oh, you you ran a marathon or even just, you know, you're a person who exercises. So what do you expect? Your body is going to fall apart. Like everybody would be like, "Uh, okay, go get your ACL repaired. 
Whereas somehow with this incredibly physically exerting experience of having a baby, people just sort of chalk it up to like this mysterious, natural, wonderful thing that like, you know, your body is forever changed and that's just how it is and how it always has been. Um, and I don't think it's fair. And I, I do think that there is some sexism going on there. Um, this is a problem that affects women and that um, we are still still dealing with a medical establishment that's mostly men. And um, the idea that women were designed to, to do this and that this is our cross to bear is incredibly old fashioned and um, extremely prevalent still. Coming up. Kira talks about why we're seeing an uptick in traumatic births. Don't go away. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We're back with Kira Butler, senior editor at Mother Jones, whose article on childbirth injuries is in the current issue of the magazine. Kira featured stories of a few women in her piece. The first was a mom named Claire. Claire gave birth when she was 30 years old and living in Santa Cruz. And um, she had an interesting family history. All of the women on her maternal side had all delivered via cesarean. Um, They had been told that they had small hips and that, you know, babies their babies were big and the doctors just recommended a C-section. So this woman, Claire, told her doctor that and the doctor said, oh, you know, that's probably just old-fashioned practice. Like, I think that you and basically everybody can um, have a vaginal birth, so don't worry about it. So Claire found that really heartening because, you know, of course she wanted to avoid surgery if possible. And, um, you know, she went through most of her pregnancy. It was uncomplicated. But then toward the end, an ultrasound showed that her baby was really big. So Claire went overdue. You know, she was a week or two past her due date. And she was really getting worried about the baby getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, you know, the doctor was like, don't worry about it. Um, So to make a long story short, Claire ended up with just a really traumatic um, delivery 
she was in labor for uh, 30 hours. And um, luckily, the baby was fine. Her daughter was in perfect health. But Claire uh, had many serious injuries. She had um, three severe tears and her labia were really, really, really swollen. Um, she started to hemorrhage shortly after the birth, and she couldn't urinate normally for, like, months afterwards. Sitting caused excruciating pain. Um, she couldn't have sex. Her daughter was three months old before she even started to feel a little bit better. Um, and even after nine months, she wasn't all the way back to normal. And Claire really felt lied to. By her doctor. She was really kind of mad that this doctor had prioritized her having a vaginal delivery over, you know, her own health and that she hadn't warned her about the risks that a vaginal delivery carried. Do you know if Claire ever confronted her doctor about this? She said that she had a, a follow-up phone call with the doctor um, and that the doctor told her um, that her case wasn't wasn't typical, that the doctor was basically like, oh, well, you know, that that's really unusual, like as if that was supposed to make her feel better. Hmm. And so when I hear the story, I, I'm thinking, like, what are we supposed to be left thinking? Are we supposed to be left thinking that Claire should have outright had a C-section because that was the family history and the doctor should have been aware of that? Or are we supposed to think Claire should have been warned of the risks of vaginal delivery or like should the doctor have stopped at some point and realized this wasn't going well and made a judgment call and given her a C-section? Right. I mean, I think that's the big question. It's like, you know, you, you definitely don't want to say like, oh, all all women should have C-sections. Like, you, and you don't even want to say all women who, you know, are built a certain way should have C-sections. But you kind of hope that um, your doctor is going to make a call um, during the time of the delivery or even beforehand that is going to um, save you a lot of pain afterwards. And I, I guess I have to mention, too, that it's not only doctors um, who don't talk about the risks of vaginal birth. It's also you don't read about these risks in um, books like What to Expect When You're Expecting. Like none of the really popular childbirth and pregnancy books out there really go into detail on this stuff. So, you know, it, while the doctors are the ones in, in the delivery room making the call, um, women don't even know how to advocate for themselves on this because they just haven't heard about it. Right, right. Huh. And every case, I mean, every case is different, right? Every body is different. Every baby is different. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I want to be clear, you know, it's not like a doctor can, like, look you over and be like, oh, you are a lady who will need a C-section. It's it's not really that simple. So tell me about another woman that you talked to. Um, I also talked to a woman named Carol who... Um, gave birth several decades ago, and the birth was really hard. Um, she pushed for a really long time. And uh, actually, Carol experienced the prolapse problem. She felt intense discomfort in, in her vagina for years and years and years. And um, she wanted to have another baby after 
her daughter. So um, her doctors recommended against fixing the problem until she was all done having babies. So she had to, you know, basically walk around um, with this intense discomfort for years and years and years. And then um, she had two surgeries to correct the problem. And over the course of those two surgeries, um, she finally was able to experience some relief. But, you know, she feels like nobody ever said to her in the delivery room, like, wow, you're pushing for a really long time. Um, That could be a problem for your body. She said to me, you know, they tell you all about how a C-section is serious, it's surgery. And then she said, well, guess what? I ended up with two surgeries. I'm always thinking that this would have been different if I had just known. Right. So I know there are a lot of women out there who um, feel pretty committed to having an intervention-free birth, Um, no drugs, no surgery, if they can avoid it. But then it turns out, it it sounds like from your reporting, that that you can still wind up with with lots of surgery afterwards, almost because you have you have chosen to go the intervention free route. Whereas, like if you had if you had gotten an intervention during the childbirth, you may have been able to avoid more later. Is that is that a correct interpretation of what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, um, women end up having two, three, even four um, really extensive surgeries. And, you know, I should add that these surgeries are often not just like you go in and have a little, you know, incision made or whatever. Um, The most common way to fix prolapse is a hysterectomy. So in order to really experience relief from the problem of prolapse, they have to remove your uterus. And the idea that, you know, you are going to have no no medical intervention during birth and then no medical intervention for the rest of your life, like that's, it just doesn't work out sometimes that way. And women are not aware of that. Now, in your article, um, you say that there's been a recent uptick in traumatic births. Why is that? Well, uh, there are a few reasons, but one major reason is that women are older when they're having their first babies. And it's sort of not politically correct to to talk about it this way, but um, basically our bodies aren't as good at giving birth when we're older. Older meaning what? Like what age would you characterize as older? Well, I think that a lot of doctors would say that beginning in your mid-30s, and you see that sort of across the board from, you know, it's harder, as most people know, for older women to conceive, but it's also harder to be pregnant. You know, older women have um, higher rates of pregnancy complications like preeclampsia, and older women also have longer labors, and um, older women also tend to go overdue, Um, and that can mean that you know, your baby gets bigger in those weeks that um, you're not giving birth and that as a result of your baby's size, you might have more problems. The other thing is that older women are muscles and um, the collagen in our bodies um, that are very kind of um, flexible and loose when we're younger, they start to stiffen up when we get older. So older women are more likely to experience severe tears. And, you know, there are other reasons, too, that um, we're seeing an uptick of traumatic births. Um, 
one of the reasons has to do with obesity. Um, more and more mothers are obese and obese women do have many, many more um, risks of pregnancy complications and childbirth complications as well. Now, Kira thinks part of why these traumas feel so traumatic is the pressure that many women feel to have a so-called natural birth. The most prominent voice of that movement is a midwife named Ina Mae Gaskin, who's actually been a guest on this show before. That's episode 28. Ina Mae Gaskin's book, Ina Mae's Guide to Childbirth, was a huge comfort to me when I was pregnant and, and freaked out about childbirth. It's full of these first-person birth stories woman after woman talking about how they got through contractions or rushes as they call them in Ina Mae's guide. One woman leans on a tree. One roars like a lion. One makes out with her partner. Women in the book describe their birth experiences as ecstatic, even orgasmic. Plenty of women read this book and think of natural childbirth not only as something to want, but something to achieve. So I live in Oakland, California, um, which is adjacent to the kind of um, famously hippie Berkeley, California. And um, I uh, had a son about a year ago, and um, I noticed that it was like this badge of honor that women would talk about, oh, you know, I labored for 46 hours, and I did it all without um, an epidural. And, you know, there's this kind of passing around of like war stories that like, you know, people were patting each other on the back for, um, for doing things in the most natural way possible. Um, I think in certain, um, circles that have become recently known as coastal elite circles, pressure to have a natural childbirth is extreme. Um, I think less so in, in other parts of the country. Um, but, uh, what a lot of the doctors that I talked to for this piece told me is that they're seeing a kind of mainstreaming of um, the natural childbirth movement. And that um, whereas it used to be um, midwives and doulas who um, were kind of spearheading the push toward natural childbirth, now a lot of OBs are doing it too. Um, in some ways, that's a great thing. You know, um, practically everybody agrees that too many women have C-sections. But um, in other ways, like in the case of Claire in my story, um, OBs are putting that pressure on women to have a natural childbirth and prioritizing that natural childbirth experience over um, the woman's own health in some cases. And I guess, you know, maybe I'll can I talk about myself? Do you, do yeah, you... I was going to ask you that. Why, yeah. are you, why are you personally interested in this subject matter? So uh, when I gave birth to my son, um, I did it in a hospital. You know, I, I wasn't really interested in, in natural childbirth. Um, and I, uh, I pushed for a really long time. Um, at about the three-hour mark, um, I started saying, should we start thinking about a C-section? Three hours of pushing. That's the limit that the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends for first-time moms. And um, both the resident and the attending physician who were there um, were like, that's so weird. Like, we haven't ever heard anybody ask for a C-section. Maybe this is because of where I live that, you know, most women who are in and around Berkeley just don't want to do that. Um, and they kind of acted like like I was a crazy person, like, whoa, slow down, lady. Like, we're not there yet. Um, and, you know, they it was... 
kind of a, a difficult um, pushing experience. They tried to deliver my son with a vacuum three times and failed. And I did end up delivering vaginally. And I count my lucky stars, especially after writing this article, that my recovery was was pretty smooth. Um, I didn't end up with any injuries. But, you know, I also know that people who pushed for a long time, like I do, have a greater risk of some of these injuries later in life. So there's that to consider. And after that experience, once I got back to work, I sort of was very interested in comparing and contrasting the risks of cesarean versus vaginal delivery. I wanted to know why these doctors were like so hell-bent on me delivering vaginally. And what I uncovered was um, the fact that there are many serious risks to vaginal deliveries and that nobody really talks about them. I should add also that I had my son when I was 35, almost 36, so I fall into the category of um, higher risk mothers for these some of these birth injuries. So, so in your situation, you um, sort of asked, should should I have a C section? And you were persuaded not to have one. Now, um, knowing all that you know, put yourself back on that table. Would you have pushed harder for a C-section? That's a great question. And much like you, I I replay this all the time. I ask myself this question all the time. Um, and it's really hard to sort it out because, you know, as it turned out, at least my short-term recovery was pretty smooth. So um, many times when I ask myself that, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it was the right decision. Um, but you know, when I think about the possibility of, you know, what might happen decades from now, then I sort of swing back to the side of like, no, I, I think I probably should have pushed harder for a C-section. So really, I go back and forth. You know, I can see um, arguments to be made in either direction. In the article, you seem to defend women who have scheduled C-sections that are that are not for emergency medical reasons, but are are really, it seems, to avoid vaginal injuries. You have some examples of um, celebrities who have done this, like Victoria Beckham, Claudia Schiffer, Elizabeth Hurley. Um, to be defensive of that as a thing is is a controversial stance. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't really see why it's controversial. I mean, I guess I see that like, okay, if you, if women see celebrities just, you know, having a C-section for um, what appears to be no good reason, and I guess, you know, who really knows what's going on? You, like, we're probably not privy to all of the information about why these people had C-sections. Um, but I guess that the worry is that women will just say, oh, it's no big deal. Like, I'll just have this surgery. And, um, you know, doctors rightly want women to understand that a cesarean section um, is major surgery and carries some risks. Um, but, you know, actually the official position of ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, is that women should be able to choose how they give birth. Elective C-sections should be an option for women. And I sort of think that, you know, even if your reasoning is that you just are traumatized by the idea of going through the pain and the possibility of serious injury in vaginal childbirth, then that should be your decision to make. Your decision to make, 
meaning nobody here is advocating that every woman should go get a C-section. Of course, you know, you should know all of the risks either way. C-section carries a higher risk of hemorrhage, shock, cardiac arrest, maternal death. The risks are relatively low, but a C-section is major surgery. And um, one of the risks that a cesarean section carries is a higher probability of uterine rupture. Um, That's when your uterus splits apart, um, both in in that delivery and in subsequent pregnancies. So... um, a lot of the doctors that I talked to said that for, you know, a 41-year-old woman who um, is having her first child and doesn't plan to have any more and is really freaked out by um, her particular risk of um, complications during a vaginal delivery, then yeah, like an elective C-section is a pretty good plan. And what about medicated vaginal births? What impact does that have on childbirth injuries? So there's been a lot of research on this. So the the two kind of interventions that I'll talk about are um, inducing, usually with a a drug um, that is synthetic oxytocin um, called Pitocin and epidurals. So in the case of Pitocin or inducing, the idea is that, you know, if you go way overdue, then your baby grows during that time that you're going overdue. So a lot of women who go a week or two beyond their delivery date end up with a really big baby, which um, raises their risk in many cases of um, an injury during the delivery. So inducing at or near your due date can actually help in those cases that, you know, if you if your baby is slightly smaller, then you can reduce your risk of an injury during childbirth. Um, Epidurals, there's an interesting study in 2010 in the British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology that found that women who had an epidural were less likely to damage their pelvic muscles than um, those women who delivered without it. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about whether epidurals can interfere with the babies in any way. But there's actually no medical evidence to support the idea that a lot of natural childbirth advocates put forth that epidurals interfere with breastfeeding. Um, Many studies have found that that's 100% not the case. Okay, so now that we know the risks of a baby coming out of your vagina, what do you do if one of these things happens to you? In a minute, Kira's got some seriously useful ideas. Stay with us. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. We're back with Kira Butler from Mother Jones. So what kind of help or advice do doctors give women who sustain an injury in a vaginal birth? Well, the problem is that many doctors don't even know what to look for when it comes to these birth injuries. Um, most Under most health insurance plans, um, women are told or they're granted one visit with the um, OB six weeks after they deliver. And the OB will, you know, look to see how well your stitches are healing, if you've had a tear, um, you know, ask you if you have any discomfort or bleeding. And I mean, in my case, this visit lasted like literally three minutes. And uh, the injury that doctors are just beginning to understand more about this anilevator tear, um, they, doctors could figure out whether a woman has experienced this injury or not, basically by inserting a finger into the vagina and knowing what to feel for. Um, but they don't do that. And as a result, you know, women end up with injuries that are going undiagnosed. Um, something that I, I found really interesting when I was researching this piece was looking at what the practices are in other countries around recovery from childbirth. And in France, which is like so unsurprising, of course, this happens in France, women are given physical therapy sessions, like just sort of right out of the gate. Like you don't even really have to have had a problem. Um, you're given these like sessions where you meet with a physical therapist. Like and a pelvic phys- floor physical therapist? A pelvic floor physical therapist who sometimes like inserts a device into your vagina that you're supposed to, it, it measures how strong your muscles are. And I think sometimes there's even a video game involved, which sounds sort of horrifying, but you know, it's like a way of kind of retraining your muscles. This, this is real. You basically have this dildo with electrodes that's connected to a laptop. You can watch how well your muscles are working on the screen and you use the dildo like a joystick strengthening your muscles um, after this traumatic experience to get them working the way that they should. And you say in the article that that the thing that most people think to like to do kegels where you're like squeezing your vaginal muscles, that's not the thing. Right. So there's been some research on kegels um, and kegels that are done during pregnancy, like leading up to when you have a baby, um, have not been proven to be effective. I did so many of those. Right. Because that's what they tell you to do. Yeah, totally. But yeah, there's not even very much evidence to back that up. Um, And really what's effective is doing this kind of like... um, pelvic re-education, I think, is like the translation of what they call it in in France after you have your baby. So here um, in the United States, like if you go to a doctor and say, like, I'm having this strange pain or this strange feeling, what are you likely to be told by your doctor? I mean, I think it varies from doctor to doctor, but... um, the right answer, what doctors should say when women um, complain of these symptoms after having a baby, doctors should send them to a urogynecologist. Urogynecologists are people who 
kind of specialize in the pelvic floor and the pelvis in general and just sort of the interactions of all of the muscles and bones and organs down there. Um, but uh, the survey found that a lot of doctors don't even really know that urogynecologists exist. So uh, that says something about where we are on this. So you've talked about how um, there's this gap, right, between the diagnosing and knowledge about the injuries in the first place. Um, How do you think that should be addressed? So there have been surveys done um, where doctors are asked about what their training includes. And actually, it's only very, very recent um, that doctors in medical school are learning about any of these injuries, and a lot of med- medical schools still aren't teaching them. So that is the other piece of this equation, that um, doctors' training has to be better around these kinds of things, because if the doctors are not learning about them, then obviously they can't be telling women about them. So so, so what action are you calling for? Women are going to continue giving birth, um, knowing and not knowing the risks. What do you want to change? I think it's mostly the responsibility of doctors. Um, These are people who went to medical school, who are experts in their field. Um, These people need to be informing women of the risks of vaginal delivery, and they need to be taking into account um, the woman's specific circumstances. Um, Does the woman have a history of, in her family, of difficult births? Is the woman um, on the older side? Um, does the woman have uh, a weight issue that that might put her more at risk for a difficult birth? Um, these are factors that doctors need to be taking into consideration when they are counseling women on how they want to deliver. Kira also wants to see midwives and doulas giving women a full view of what they can expect. I think also the childbirth classes have to get better at warning women about um, these risks and the childbirth books have to include sections on injuries. Um, And also, this is the job of women ourselves. Um, You know, if we continue to put a lot of stigma around um, having medicated births and, um, you know, patting each other on the back for uh, lack of intervention, um, that will perpetuate this idea that if you have a C-section, then you somehow are, you know, less of a woman. You make an argument that doctors should be warning pregnant women about the risks of vaginal birth. But isn't that, isn't that just scaring women? I mean, how do you, how do you talk about this stuff without scaring people who, like pregnant people who are already in an extremely vulnerable state? Well, it's not like we're not scaring pregnant women already. I mean, as I've said, women hear a lot about the dangers of C-sections, you know, that this is major surgery and that their risk of infection, their risk of hemorrhage, um, the risk of uterine rupture, all of that is greater um, when when you have a C-section. Um But I would argue that knowing all of the risks about both kinds of delivery, cesarean section and vaginal birth, um, that is so much less scary than being there on the delivery table or months later or years later or decades later having a mysterious and painful and embarrassing injury happen to you that you had no idea was a possibility. The element of like surprise is not comforting, to me at least. 
You can find a link to Kira's full article on our website, longestshortesttime.com. And if you are wrestling with this stuff, there is a lot of great information in there. We did not cover everything today, so go check it out. We've also got links there to resources that Kira sent for how to find help. For starters, if you're having postpartum pain, go find a urogynecologist and go find a pelvic floor physical therapist. Also, remember in our episode with Ina Mae Gaskin, where she said I was making her feel like she should revise her book? Great news. She is doing it. And it's because of you guys. Yes, actually, you. She's going to have new content speaking directly to people who wanted a natural birth and didn't get one. And she's using some of your comments from our blog. There are almost 400 of them. If you want to check it out, it's episode 28. This is so exciting, you guys. I can't even tell you. Speaking of comments, we always, always want to hear from you. So if you had a birth injury or you're freaked out about getting one or you're like Monday morning quarterbacking your own birth, leave us a comment on this episode. That's episode 110. This podcast is produced by me, Hillary Frank, with Abigail Keel and Kristen Clark. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Akatunde, and Rika Murthy. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Um, why did God create so much people like 100 people? It's another round of kids' unanswerable questions, this time with comedian Nagin Farsad. You don't want to miss this show, do you? No, the right answer is no. So subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you want to hear more from Kira Butler and her crew at Mother Jones, check out their podcast. It's called Bite, and it tells surprising stories about food. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. Right now, we're especially looking for stories about cross-cultural parenting. Do you and your partner come from different sides of the globe? Is your kid doing things you never did as a kid? Are there traditions you're trying to keep alive or or hope that you don't have to keep alive? We want to hear about it. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Gottfried here, reminding you that Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast is now on Earwolf. See, Earwolf I don't really know about. Now, werewolves that I know. If you told me we were going to be on a podcast network run by Maria Ospenskaya and Lon Chaney Jr., then I could get excited. Every week, my co-host Frank Santo Padre and I take a fun look back at the movies, music, and TV shows we love and the performers we grew up watching. People like Dick Van Dyke, Adam West, Bruce Stern, Rich Little, Chevy Chase, Dick Cavett, and Mickey Dolan's just to name a few. So check out the show Vanity Fair and L.A. Times called Gripping and Poignant and actor John Amos called The Place Where Celebrities Go to Die. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right here on our new home, Earwolf. Stand up. 
You sing your wolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf! It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. <laughs>